When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, where I've worked since 1994. And as always in this podcast, I'm traveling across the Carolinas, seeking out some of my very favorite sports legends and asking them to tell some of the stories behind their rise to iconic status. Now for this episode of Season 3, we're in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and are delighted to be inside the home of basketball coaching legend Bobby Cremins. Bobby Cremins crisscrossed both Carolinas during his basketball journey. He played basketball under Frank McGuire at the University of South Carolina in the late 1960s, He became the head coach at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina at age 27. At the end of his career, he would coach at the College of Charleston. But in between those two jobs is where Cremins made his greatest mark nationally. Here's the finish. Williamson, no good. Georgia Tech takes the Sweet 16. Cremins coached Georgia Tech from 1981 to 2000 while winning multiple ACC championships, winning three ACC Coach of the Year honors, and taking the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech all the way to the Final Four in 1990. He now lives in Hilton Head, not too far from the beach, with his wife Carolyn. Cremins, now age 76, is surrounded in this comfortable house by memorabilia from his career. His pickleball paddles are stowed by the front door. Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Um, Charlotte's always been one of my favorite cities, and um, the Charlotte Observer is a great newspaper. Well, we, we really appreciate you giving us some time today. And let's start from the beginning. You've had an amazing life, and, and but I'm not sure people all know how it began. So tell us sort of when and where and how you grew up. Well, the big thing growing up was uh, I was a product of um, the New York schoolyard basketball. New York, I should just say the schoolyard. My parents were immigrants. They were Irish immigrants, and they came across the, um, the ocean, the Atlantic, and they, they, they landed in the Bronx, New York, with a lot of other immigrants and a lot of other their, uh, their family uh, members. And we wound up in the South Bronx, 
And she got in my apartment building. Every day I come out of that building, right across the street was this huge schoolyard. It was part of an elementary school. But schoolyards were a very important part of um, the elementary schools. And it helped the school, but it also helped the neighborhood tremendously. And that schoolyard, we played games like stickball, <laughs> softball, um, football, touch football. And there were two basketball goals in that schoolyard. And I gravitated to those basketball goals. And, um, and that's where I developed a passion. And um, I just fell in love with uh, playing sports. But in particular, I fell in love playing basketball. And my parents, you know, I was right across the street. It was a dangerous street I had to cross. Hmm. It was a boulevard. Um, but I just had to be home for dinner. And um, I finally got my own basketball. That was stolen about a month after I got it. <laughs> but um, it all started for me you know, right there in that schoolyard. My parents were devout Catholics. So I went to a, gra a Catholic grammar school called St. Anthanasius that still exists today. And they had a basketball team. And I tried out for that basketball team. I made it. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I, I fell in love again with being part of a team. Back in those days in New York, they gave scholarships to, at the Catholic high schools. A good example would be Lou Alcinda. Sure. He didn't have to try out, but he got a scholarship to Power Memorial. And on Saturday mornings, um, they would have these tryouts. And my grammar school coach, Jack Lyons, told me about it. And he set it up where I would you know, go try out. And I went to a couple of different high schools. I went to Power, saw Lou Alcinda. You saw him at that time? Yep. Wow. He, we, we He's a little same, bit older? Or is he no, we're same class. Same age. Okay. He was going into Power. And um, I tried out at Rice. And then I went up to All Hollows, uh, up by Yankee Stadium. And I played well. I just played well. And um, the, the coach, next thing I know, he invited me back the next Saturday. And next thing I know, they called my house. And uh, my mother, they told my mother that they're going to give me a full scholarship to come to All Hollows. Hmm. Uh, she started crying. And um, so I, you know, I went from a Catholic grammar school to a Catholic high school. I was going to go to a public high school. Hmm. And so. So, so this I, was around eighth grade? Yeah, right. I was, I was just finishing my eighth grade. So All Hollows was tough academically. I was a little bit over my head. Hmm. I had some academic issues. Um, but. Um, Actually, I had to repeat one grade. And so I, I, so when my senior year came, it was my fifth year. And I couldn't play anymore. My eligibility was up. Okay. So the high school coach, he sent me to a scout in, uh, in New York. And the scout was going to send me to a prep school. And so I went to Frederick Military Academy in Portsmouth, Virginia. Oh, wow. yeah. And that was a big break for me, Scott. Yeah. Um, and what happened there was really crazy. Uh, we had a game um, in Maryland. It was an afternoon game. It was on a Friday. And believe it or not, South Carolina was playing the University of Maryland that Friday night. Hmm. And Coach Frank McGuire was in his hotel room. And he had a prospect um, at Bullis Prep that we, we were playing against. And so he decided with a friend to go over and just watch a little bit of the game in the afternoon, kill some time. 
and he went over to Bullish Prep, which was it's near Cole Fieldhouse. And so he saw me play by accident. Oh, it wasn't even on purpose. No, he was already at St. John's first. Oh, right. Right. And then UNC, yep. then the NBA where he coached Will Chamberlain. Oh, right, right. The 100-point game he was yeah. the coach. Yeah. yeah. And then he had a son who had Down syndrome, and Coach McGuire, he didn't like the NBA travel. He wanted his family to be settled. So the South Carolina job opened up, and then he went back and went coaching against his uh, former assistant, Dean Smith, in the ACC. Right. But after I played very well. And after the game, he came up to me and he said, um, I like the way you play. I'm going to get you, I want you to visit South Carolina. And I got really excited. And, you know, one thing led to the other. I visited and of course, once he told me he would take me, um, that, you know, was a dream come true for me. We'll be back right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. What was it like coming to South Carolina out of the Bronx in the sixties? <laughs> well, I, I got—I should tell you this story. <laughs> uh, my my God bless my mother. She knew I was traveling. She wanted me to stay warm, so she bought me a wool suit. <laughs> she bought me Oxford shoes that were going to last for like ten years. Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, I arrived in Columbia, South Carolina, in late August, wearing a wool suit. Oxford shoes, coach, the assistant coach at the time, Donnie Walsh, picked me up. He said, uh, you can take that tie off. And um, the first place he took me was to Coach McGuire's house, beautiful house. And believe it or not, the first thing I said to Coach McGuire, I said, I said, nice, I said Frank, nice pad you have here. <laughs> and Donnie Walsh immediately grabbed me and said, don't ever call Coach McGuire Frank. <laughs> <laughs> You were you were pretty familiar with him for that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, coming in for that New York moxie and right. Yeah, yeah. I was a street kid. Yeah. Um, you know, what I did was, your dad do? My dad was a longshoreman, hmm. and then he became an elevator uh, elevator operator in an apartment building downtown. Yeah. And your mom stayed man. home. Was my she? mother stayed at home, mm-hmm. and you know they were very proud. You know they had a dream. They wanted to come to America, raise a family, and give their children a, an opportunity to live the American dream. Mm-hmm. It was that simple. My dad worked his tail off, um, and I never saw him much of him during the week. And during every Sunday, we'd, they'd, we'd go to a park, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so I had two brothers and a sister. And so, you know, we were a typical immigrant family. And um, trying to make it make it in, in New York City, uh, America. America was there, you know, it was very important to them. Hmm. When did they, when they came over, were they like, uh, you know, in the 20s? Or yeah, what, what 20, yeah, and they were single. And they met at an Irish dance hall oh, okay. in New York City. So they came over separately. Yes. Oh, and then my mother promised her mother that 
if they got married, they get married in Ireland. So they went back to County Kerry, Ireland, and got married there, and they came back to America and started the family. My father was a tough guy. A longshoreman's a tough job. You know, the ships come in, and they, they, they got to unload and load them. And, um, but they were a great family. Again, they were devout Catholics. My mother, uh, we, we, I constantly was saying the rosary at night, constantly. And, you know, Sunday was, you know, we'd walk to church and, you know, never could miss church and, and so forth. Hmm. So when you got to South Carolina, I would imagine it was a little bit of a culture shock, right? I mean, I'm from South Carolina myself. And what was it? Was it, uh, did you find it different from the food to the way, I don't know, people treated each other? Or was it, was it different? No, it was not a culture shock. It was like, uh, it's like I hit the home, uh, I hit a home run. I mean, I couldn't get over how well I was treated. I couldn't get over uh, Coach McGuire, how great he was. I, the, 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 the people in the state of South Carolina, how friendly they were how important basketball was. We had a field house. It was packed. And um, I had no idea anything about the South, but I loved everything about it. Obviously, you know, I, I couldn't talk real well. Um, they gave me a nickname called the Cakes. What's that mean? Well, everybody thought that I talked like I had cake in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> So I, they gave Cakes. me, uh, my nickname was Cakes. Mm, that's great. Where did y'all play your home games? Oh, uh, we played our home games right there in the field house, right on campus. Oh, okay. Yes. This is prior to obviously where they play now. Oh, yeah. The Carolina Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, but we had a little field house about, sat about 3,500. And it was a madhouse. Um, I played the last game there and the first game in the new place, the Carolina Coliseum. Now today... They have the, the new colonial building. You know, they have a, a 20,000 seat arena. But yeah, the, the, the place was right on campus. You know, I could, from my dorm room, it took me five minutes to get to the, uh, three or four minutes to get to the gym. And I love that. Um, love Donnie Walsh, the assistant, Buck Freeman, Frank McGuire. And, and then, you know, we had one big mishap. Uh, they had recruited a great player out of New Jersey by the name of Mike Rosso. And Mike was fantastic. He was 6'10", 6'11". He could do it all. And he was a star as a freshman. And back then, freshmen could not play varsity. They had to play one year of freshman ball. And so um, I, I, I came in a year after Mike. And so when I came in my freshman year, Mike was going to play varsity. And he had uh, four seniors with him, four really good seniors. Uh, Jack Thompson, Skip Harlicker, Frank Standard, and Gary Greger. All, 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 all four of them were, were basically all ACC players. And Mike Rosso was the fifth guy. My sophomore year, I would be a, a, like a sixth man. But what happened is um, they, they kicked Mike Rosso out of school. The ACC declared him ineligible. And it's a complicated story. Um, it was really heartbreaking. He was a great kid. He loved it there. He's a great player. And if, if anything, they should have, when, when he first went there, they should have gotten all that straightened out. But the ACC, they waited till he became eligible. And it really, it was really hard 
number one, it was really hard on, on Mike Grasso. He transferred to Louisville. It was very difficult on um, Coach Frank McGuire. It was really difficult. It looked like all of a sudden the, the, the great Frank McGuire, the program was in trouble, a lot of trouble. And what saved us, Scott, was um, we recruited a couple other New Yorkers. And one was um, one I had grown up with since the age of 14 by the name of Tommy Owens. And the other was his high school teammate by the name of John Roach. They were high school teammates at LaSalle High School. And they saved the program. Uh, if we didn't get them, um, you know, we were dead in the water. Now, nobody knew Roach was going to become a superstar like he did. But um, getting those two guys my senior year, Scott, we were preseason number one in the country. This was 69-70? 69-70. Above UCLA, you were preseason number one? Yeah. Wow. In some mag most magazines. Yeah. I think, see, Alcindor had gone. Because I went to, we were the same year, but I went to prep school one year. Oh, okay. So you then moved a year behind. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but we had a great team. And but the whole state, it was incredible. And I going going south was unbelievable. I you know you didn't have to put on all this winter clothing. Yeah, that wool uh, suit got retired early. I guess. Yeah, the wool the wool suit never. <laughs> what color was that thing? It was gray. <laughs> the wool suit never made it out of the closet. <laughs> I think I don't know what I eventually did with it, but uh, my mother would always say, "How's that suit? Did you wear it?" I said, "Oh yeah, mom, it's keeping it's keeping me warm." <laughs> My starting five with Bobby Crimmins is the most energetic and the most spirited boy I've ever seen play basketball. Uh, he's an ideal captain. <laughs> you, uh, you, I've heard, read a little bit about the heartbreak you sustained in that final ACC final, yeah. which I guess was your last yeah. game. Tell me that story. That was my first crisis. Um, you know, we were on top of the world. Uh, we, um, we did get beat twice. Um, Tennessee beat us. Early on at home. And then Davidson came in, Terry Holland. And they came in and beat us. They were the only two teams that beat us. And outside of that, you know, we beat everybody else. We went undefeated in the ACC. And we were, um, so we were like, um, going into the tournament, we had two losses and about, you know, 22, 23 wins. And um, we beat Clemson the first game in a close game. Bobby Roberts, the coach back then, held the ball. And it was one of those, you know, Friday, first game of the ACC yeah, tournament. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know how that People goes? People are just waking up, yeah. And the place was packed with, yeah. you know, eight teams from fans from eight schools. And when they saw that Clemson had a chance to beat, we at that time now we were ranked two or three. The place went nuts. And Clemson had a little guard by the name of Butch Tazlo, and I had to guard him. And I was shaking guarding him. Because we had a one-point lead, and he had the ball. Uh, we you were a point guard? Is I was a point what, guard. Yeah. And you know, my sophomore year, I played some point forward. Okay. Because we had a great point guard my sophomore year by the name of Jack Thompson. So anyway, um, we, we won the Clemson game. Then the second game, we easily were handling Wake Forest. And unfortunately, that's when the disaster struck with about three minutes to go in the game. Uh, we were up by at least 14, 15 points. And John Roach and I had a two-on-one. And the Wake defender stuck his leg out and tripped John Roach. And he went down. And it was bad. I knew it was bad. So uh, we went back to the hotel. I called a team meeting. 
And I, I assumed John was not going to play. And I told the team, uh, you know, we're going to win for John tomorrow night. We were playing NC State. Uh, you know, again, we, we went undefeated in the ACC. And so now we were 24-2 and two going into that ACC championship game, ranked number two or three in the country. And so we went over to, to the Coliseum, Charlotte Coliseum, and uh, play NC State. And Roach came, uh, but he had his warm-up on. And so we went out to warm up. And while we were warming up, they shot him up in, in the locker room. <laughs> and God bless him. He came out. And it's unfortunate. We went down right away. We went down like 4 nothing, 6 nothing, And Coach McGuire put him in. And, you know, John, he played very courageously. We should have won the game. Um, we were surprised he played. Um, long story short, the game went into double overtime and we lost. And as you well know, back then, only one team uh, could go from the ACC to the NCAA tournament. And, Scott, you're not going to believe this, but Fran McGuire with his connections, guess where the regional was that year? Columbia. Columbia, Sacramento. Oh, no. On top of that, Scott, they made another rule. Some genius made this rule that uh, if a team is um, hosting a regional, they should not be allowed to go to the NIT because their fans might go to the NIT and not be in that location. Oh, I wondered why that team didn't go to the NIT. So, oh. Scott, number one, you know, we, we didn't go play a regional in Columbia. We couldn't go to the NIT. It was, it was, it was just overwhelming. And it got the best of me. And uh, I got my roommate, Corky Carnival. And I said, I, I'm not going to Columbia. I said, we got to get out of here. And we met a friend, and uh, she took us to the mountains. And we stayed in the mountains for about a week. <laughs> you disappeared? I disappeared. You went what they call off the grid today. I went off the grid. <laughs> in North Carolina? Like, did you go up to Boone? Or I went up to go? the, yeah. I think it was the Boone Asheville area. Uh -huh. I didn't know eventually I'd go back there to coach. <laughs> He <laughs> just disappeared. I disappeared. That one I, really, I you took that something. one really hard. That was your last game as a college player, right? And my last yeah. game as a college player. Mm. And uh, mm. but you know, it, it took me hard. It took you know, you could, but time. It took time. Coach McGuire, you know, the first time he was nice to me. The second time he said he's going to kill me if I don't get back here. <laughs> so he I eventually, eventually got back. back. Mm. Well, you uh, and so you went. To, to move ahead a little bit, you then were an assistant for Coach McGuire. Actually, my goal, Scott, was yeah. to play professionally. You wanted yeah. to play professionally. Yeah, I had no, I had no ambitions of coaching. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wanted to play at the highest level. I knew I was, I knew it was a bit of a long shot. I was not a great shooter, but I could score the ball, and um, and so I, I messed around trying to, you know, I tried out for the Pittsburgh Condors, then I got traded to the Carolina Cougars. Oh, okay. Yeah. And some coach by the name of Bones McKinney. They needed to cut one more guy. Oh. And Coach McKinney called me in and he said, Look, we, we love the way you're playing. You're giving it everything you have, but there's no room for you. So he cut, he made you the last cut. I, he was the last guy cut. And I'll tell you this, you know, of course, I got to know Coach McKinney a little bit. He was doing TV later on. And then I realized what a legend he was. And um, I ran into him once. And I said, Coach, you, you know how, how much you hurt me when you cut me? And he said, are you kidding me? 
He said, you should be taking me out to dinner. You should be buying me everything. Look what I did for you. By cutting you, you can be you became a coach. Mm-hmm. And look what's you happened to your, your life. Uh, you, you, and you, you know what? Yeah. I say, Coach, you're right. I want to thank you for cutting me. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, that's a good point. He got I, you started earlier. Yeah. Well, I did wind up in Ecuador, South America. Yeah. How um, was that? That's that's another yeah. crazy story. Yeah. Um, but I played professionally over there for about six months, and that would that would that would take a lifetime to tell you about that. <laughs> Um, but I loved going to Equ- uh, Guadalquivir, Ecuador. The first night I got there, there was an earthquake. I thought I was going to die in Guadalquivir. Uh, but I played there and had a lot of success. I had good opportunities to maybe go stay over there, definitely stay there, maybe go to Europe. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted one more shot at the NBA. I, wa- I, wa- I really want to try. I actually went back to Columbia, I played AAU basketball. And back then, Scott, the Olympic trials, they would take two AAU players uh, with the great college players for um, the Olympic tryout. And damn if I didn't get an invitation um, to go try out for the Olympics in 1972. I was an AAU player. I had tried, I already tried out for the Cougars, the Condors. And so I went out to Colorado Springs and the coach was um, Hank Iba. My roommate was Doug Collins. And I tried out for the uh, Olympic team. I did not make it, obviously. And that's when I first decided, you know, maybe it's time to stop playing. And so I got a phone call from this coach, uh, Jerry Conboy, at, at Point Park College in Pittsburgh. He needed the freshman coach. And I had met him at Davidson basketball camp. And I thought, you know, this might be something that be, might be cool. So I drove to Pittsburgh. I coached the freshman team there and assistant to the varsity. And then Coach McGuire called me and said, you're coming back to Columbia. And he brought me back to Columbia as a graduate assistant. Mm. And you did, and you were there for about five years? I was there for about three or four years. I was a graduate assistant for two years. And then Coach McGuire made me a full assistant, third assistant behind Donnie Walsh and Ben Job. Mm. Oh, Ben Job for the later coach coach Southern. Yeah, that's correct. And then um and then all of a sudden our tennis coach at South Carolina was named Ron Small. And he called me one day and he said, I got you an interview at my alma mater, Appalachian State. And I said, What are you talking about? And he said, you know, the his tennis coach, uh, Jim Jones, had become athletic director and they were looking for a basketball coach and he recommended me. And so I was 27 years old. Um, I went to Boone for an interview. I didn't know what I was doing. And nobody wanted the job. I found out later nobody wanted the job. <laughs> and so they hired me. Wow. Yeah. I have a son at Appalachian State now. It's just beautiful country. Great. Beautiful place. And, and how did you how did you find Boone when you Well, Boone now was a little shocking. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You talk about so? a cultural shock. Yeah. Uh, you know, Columbia was great. But Boone, now, the first thing was, you know, I, I, I fell in love with the South. I thought the weather in the South was great. Well, I didn't know that Boone was the North Pole of the South. <laughs> sure. Now, that wool suit could come in handy. And yeah. Yes, right. but the suit was gone. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I froze. I mean, I couldn't get over the weather, the snow. And, um, I mean, I just couldn't get over it. Now, in the summertime, it was beautiful. And the spring, and the flowers, uh, the leaves changing. Uh, it was a great school, though. And um, 
I, I was I almost panicked uh, because not many people wanted to go there. Beth, I couldn't get a lot of North Carolina kids to go there. They knew about it. They weren't going to take that hike up the mountain. Yeah, yeah. So what I did, I went to New York, and I was a scout there by the name of Tommy Kachowski. I said, Tommy, I'm coming to New York, and I got six scholarships, and I want to fill at least five of them, and I need your help. So I went to New York, and he showed me all around. There were tournaments going on. There were postseason tournaments, and we went to a couple different ones. And we just started picking out kids. And I brought back, I brought about five New Yorkers to Boone. Really? Yeah. And sort those of like kids, McGuire's connection in 57 yeah. when they won a national championship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those kids, those New Yorkers, plus, you know, they won a Southern Conference championship for me. Uh, the, the two great ones were Darrell Robinson and Mel Hubbard. And they were fantastic. Um, they were just absolutely fantastic. And we built a program. Then we started getting a couple of kids from the South, Tony Searcy in particular, Ronaldo Lawrence. And uh, we won a Southern Conference Championship. And that was a great moment, 1978. Darrell Robinson was the MVP uh, from Brooklyn, New York. How about that? Yeah. And that put me on the map. Yes. That got me going. You were young and you had turned this program around. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Let me ask you, before we get into Georgia Tech, um, everyone knows you. One of the, your trademarks is your, your very full head of hair, and it's been white, I guess. Is that what color you would call it? And I've seen yeah. it referred to in different ways. When did, when did that start happening? Uh, about the end of Appalachian. I started to get a little gray, a little white. Yeah. And you just, and you just, let, it, you just let it go. Yeah, I never touched my hair. In my yeah, life. really. Yeah, nah, yeah. And why was that? You just figured that's it. Just it wasn't the way God made me. The way God made me it wasn't yeah. important to me. Yeah. One time I tried to put some of that grease stuff on it to keep it back. I said that's not working. <laughs> no, I never, I never touched my hair with anything. Huh. You know, just wash it. And um, so by the time you went to Georgia Tech, was your hair white, or were you? No, it was getting there. It was getting there. It was yeah. getting there. Well, tell me about Georgia Tech. So yeah. Georgia Tech. People don't probably remember how horrible Georgia Tech was before you got there. That was a they were like one in twenty nine in the ACC, I believe, in the first two years in the yeah. ACC prior to you. Was that a job that uh, you had to pursue, or you had to be convinced to do? Did people think you were nuts to take it when you had the SoCon championships going at App State? Well, Scott, after the seventy eight championship, so SoCon championship, um, you know, I started to get a little ambitious, and. Um, I, I still had something that bothered me, and that was that loss to NC State in the ACC tournament. That bothered me. Really? It still, it was, a, it wasn't a nightmare, but it, it still was there. And I figured I could get some redemption here by going back into the ACC as a coach and winning an ACC championship as a coach that I lost as a player. And so the first year, two jobs opened up after '78: um, Duke and NC State. So I called both schools. I got after it a little bit. I called them. Yeah. And um, the NC State, the athletic director there, was very nice to me. Willis Casey, I believe his name was. Mm-hmm. He said, but we got a guy. And he actually is a New Yorker. And I said, who's that? He said, Jimmy Valvano. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I said, well, he's pretty good. <laughs> and then I called Tom Butters at Duke. And he said, yeah, Bobby, I've heard about you, but um, we got our coach. And I said, who are you getting? He said, we're going to get Mike Krzyzewski. I said, the guy from Army with a losing record? I said, Mr. Butters, that to be the worst decision you ever made. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed out on those two jobs. Oh, that's great. And then the following year, the Georgia Tech job opened up. Now, what hit me about Georgia Tech was one main thing. It was in the ACC. And ironically, the school it replaced in the ACC was South Carolina. So... But all I, when I looked at Georgia Tech, Scott, all I saw was ACC, 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 and a chance to get back at those guys. Yes, right. And so that, would, that was my greatest motivation. And then <clears throat> I did some research on the athletic director, Homer Rice. And I loved the fact that he had been the athletic director at um, North Carolina. I loved that fact. You know, Dean Smith worked under him. He was a great football coach, but he was a better, he was a great administrator, and he had vision. So the first time I met him, I loved his vision, and I felt like he would you know give me the resources that I needed to compete in the. I thought he knew the ACC, and he knew what I was up against. So he was a big part of it too, and then then. A little bit like Appalachian, I didn't realize nobody wanted the job. <laughs> Even though it was an ACC job, not many people wanted the job. Yeah. And they, about two or three people turned it down. And I thought I was out of it. And I was actually in, somewhere in North Carolina recruiting a kid for Appalachian. And I got a phone call and to call Coach Rice. No, no cell phones. And the, they wanted the phone message was call Homer Rice immediately. And so I, I came out of a meeting and I called him and he said, Bobby, you're not out of this thing yet. You know, you're still right there. And then, of course, I wound up getting the job. The ACC in the 80s, uh, a legendary group of coaches, the two you just mentioned. I suppose at the time, Dean Smith would have been kind of the, the yes. godfather. Absolutely. Yeah. What was, what was that like? Well, all, the, all these guys. I mean, were you all friends? Were you rivals? Were you, you know – hit it against each other? Was it difficult? It was. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Coach Dean Schmidt was on top, and he was in the league by himself. Bobby Cremens will try to pull something out of the hat today. What a tough day to do it against Dean Smith, who has all the weapons. And everybody was after him. The second group was uh, Coach Gisele, Coach Holland, Coach Carl Tacey. Uh, they didn't like Coach Schmidt. They, they, they didn't like him being on top. And then there was the, the young guy, the, the, they called us the, um, the young guns. And that was um, Jimmy, Mike, and myself. Mm -hmm. Jimmy and Mike were one year ahead of me. They called us the young guns. So we had the young guns. We had the guys, the, the little established group. And then you had Coach Schmidt on top. Yes. And everybody was there to Coach Schmidt. Now, Coach Schmidt and I, had a, we had a common bond. We had, we had a connection. I had played against his teams, obviously, but... Both our mentors were Frank, Coach Frank McGuire. He loved Coach McGuire. He too, loved Coach McGuire like yes. I did, and for that reason, that we, you know, he, he's a great competitor, but um, he was very loyal and respectful to Coach McGuire, which I loved, and so we had that common bond that even though we had to go against each other, you know, we we both had the Frank McGuire connection. I know you and Coach K 
became very close. Yeah. And still are. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, I don't like to bother uh, Mike, um, but I'm really proud of him because um, I watched what he did from from you know personal standpoint. I saw him go through his crisis. I saw him go get on top. I saw him get knocked down. And then I saw him come back with a vengeance. I, I saw Jimmy V win a national championship. That was quite, that happened first. Yeah, right. that, that was the first shocking thing, was seeing Jimmy V do what he did. And, you know, all of a sudden, these two guys that, you know, were the young guns, uh, they were doing uh, unbelievable things. And, I, you know, I had to catch up a little bit. But uh, I, I was really proud of uh, Jimmy. Jimmy, of course, is, is a remarkable story. Jimmy would come into the meetings and take over, and he had everybody laughing. Really? Yeah, he could bring people together with his storytelling. Dean Smith loved. loved Dean Smith used to laugh most of the meeting, and and you couldn't. You can walk into a meeting hating Jimmy Valvano, and you were going to laugh. I guarantee you, you were going to laugh in that meeting. And he was a great game coach. And Coach Mike, Mike just took this whole thing to another level. He was a great defensive coach. And then he started to recruit like Coach Schmidt. But, you know, I think, you know, I can't speak for Jimmy, but I think I can speak for Jimmy and Mike and tell you that, you know, Dean Schmidt, he set, he set the bar. He showed us what it would take to be a champion, to be an ACC champion. And all three of us, you know, won ACC tournaments. But we all knew what, what the bar was set. Now, Coach K broke the bar, but Dean Smith set the bar. My college coach, Frank McGuire, put the ACC on the map. And, of course, every case is considered the godfather of the ACC. But um, um, it was unbelievable what the, those guys did. And what, and what, Mike, what Mike has accomplished is unbelievable. Um, I watched it personally. I watched him from the beginning. And, um, you know, I have nothing but the highest respect and love for him. And what he accomplished. What do you think your primary strengths were as a coach, and why were you able to turn Georgia Tech around? Well, I was a bit crazy. Um, you know, I always say Jimmy Valvano, he'd go about 120 miles an hour. I go about 100 miles an hour. Coach K, he stayed in the speed limit. <laughs> you know, he was more balanced than we were. And, you know, I, I had a great staff. My first assistant, uh, George Felton. Um, ben Job, Perry Clark, Kevin Cantwell, Sherman Dillard, Derek Wittenberg. I know I'm leaving somebody out, and I apologize. But you have to have great assistance. And we worked around the clock. We got after it. And we, you know, we hit, we hit the recruiting road hard. I mean, really hard. George Felton was unbelievable. One day, George Felton called me. He said, uh, I think I, f I found the point guard. You know, we, we, we should recruit. I said, where are you? He said, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I said, great. That's not too far away from Atlanta. He said, no, no, the tournament's here, but the kid's from Enid, Oklahoma. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I've never been to Oklahoma in my life, and I'm not going out to Oklahoma. And he told me he's a little 5'11 guard, a little white guard from Oklahoma. I said, you got to be kidding me. But he said, no, you're going to Oklahoma. And George convinced me to go. George Felton saw every one of Mark Price's games his senior year. The Yellow Jackets' chances may hinge on freshman guard Mark Price, the third leading scorer in the conference. One time it was a snowstorm. The game got canceled, but George still tried to make it. And he got halfway and he had to pull over. 
And he called Mark, got Mark at his house a little bit later on. He said, Mark, I want you to know I'm here in Oklahoma. I'm not at the game. I know the game was canceled, but I'm here. I just got had the snow stopped me. Wow. Yeah. So, and then New York, our New York roots, John Sally, Bruce Darrymple. John Sally was skinny, but Price and Sally were the first ones. And then uh, the, 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 the Haitian sensation. I got a phone call about a kid in a junior college from Florida, 6'11". I said, there's got to be something wrong with this. I said, um, they said, I said, is he, is he, what kind of student is he? They said, he wants engineering. I said, engineering? I said, I said well, there's got to be something wrong. They said, well, yeah, there is. I said, okay, here it is. He doesn't speak English well, but he speaks four other languages well. <laughs> and that was Yvonne Joseph. So... Um, it just started to come together. And then um, Price became like John Roach. You know, he was a, he was a surprise. Developed incredibly he, well in college. He was, he, was, he was amazing. I don't know why he's not in the College Basketball Hall of, Hall of Fame. Uh, but he became like an end of John Roach. And Sally, Sally started to develop. He got taller. And, and Sally really knew how to play the game. And Darrymple was a hustler. Like, he played like I played. Not a great shooter, but all over the place. And Joseph, Joseph would just knock you know, He was older than everybody. And he was strong as an ox and just beat the heck out of you. And so it all came together. And we lost a tough game um, in um, Providence, Rhode Island. We played Georgetown for the right to go to the Final Four. Patrick Ewan. What a game that was. Yeah. And they beat us. And then the next year we got upset in the Sweet 16 um, and by LSU. And so that was kind of, you know, that was I felt terrible that we didn't go to the Final Four with that group. We won an ACC championship, of course. The first one that in 85. That was your first one? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was a special moment, not, for, not only for them, but for me. And, and then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, you know, we went through a little spell there, and then all of a sudden something special was happening again. Uh, my assistant, Perry Clark, he got Dennis Scott, Kevin Cantwell, and I went back to New York, and we got a kid by the name of Kenny Anderson. Uh, locally, uh, there was a, a star by the name of Brian Oliver and right there in Atlanta, and it all came together, and we got those guys along with Malcolm Mackey, and then we got a junior college kid out of um, – Chawan Junior College in Murfreesboro, North Carolina, 6'8", Johnny McNeil. And that was the group. They won, you know, Anderson, he was sensational. And Scott was sensational. Oliver was sensational. And that group got us over the hump. And uh, we beat LSU, the team that beat us, beat Price and, and Sally. Where they had Shaquille O'Neal, Stanley Roberts. Y'all, that was the team that y'all knocked out in 1990? Yeah, that was, yeah, we beat them in the second round in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then we went to New Orleans and we beat Michigan State. Judd Hico, the last second shot in overtime. Wow. And then beat Minnesota in the Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four in Denver, where we lost to UNLV after being up by seven. And that Final Four, Duke was in that Final Four. It was Duke and Arkansas. Duke beat Arkansas, and then Duke and um, Duke lost to UNLV, who beat us for the national championship. Right, UNLV 
killed them that year, and then yeah. the next year Duke beat them. Yeah, right. That we we were hoping to have an ACC championship game, and that would have been something. Yeah, but still, to make the Final Four was yeah. enormous. Yeah, right. So you were there 19 years and had some incredible success. What as a as a coach, I'm sure you have some regrets. What was what would you say? Your well, I had my midlife crisis where I left to do a Georgia Tech for two days to go back to South Carolina. Yes, tell me about that. Well, that was rough. That was really rough. I said no to South Carolina. But, you know, I had a deep love for them. And uh, uh, time went by. I didn't know they were involved with Eddie Fogler. I just wanted to see South Carolina taken care of. And Eddie, Eddie and I played against each other. We we're good friends. And then after I said no to Mike McGee, you know, a week, a week kind of a week went by. And then, you know, I, I, I really hoping something would happen quickly. It didn't. And then I changed my mind. And I called Mike McGee and I said, I'll come. This is in 1993, for those who don't remember. So yeah. you had just come off, uh, I think, another ACC championship. Yeah. yeah. And then we lost in the first round. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was really one of the worst decisions of my life because it had nothing to do with my alma mater. It had everything to do with me. And uh, I knew it was not right, but I did it. And, of course, the people in South Carolina and Columbia, they went crazy, which I really appreciated. I still appreciate their, how excited they were. But once I got there, I realized I made a mistake. I felt like Judas. And it was the roughest time of my life. You know, I, I took a month off. I had to go see a shrink. Went down to Florida, got away. Um, had to get on medication. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought I was done. Uh, I knew I was not done. I knew that. I just needed time. And what really helped me, the first part of recovery was um, seeing South Carolina get such a great coach by the name of Eddie Fogler. And that was the start of my recovery. When you say it didn't have anything to do with your alma mater and had something to do with you, what, what you well, uh, well, you know, people say, what, you, don't, you didn't got there, you didn't like it. I love South Carolina. I love everything about South Carolina. Frank McGuire was still alive. Mm. But I just felt everything that I preached, everything I told my players about loyalty, I went against. I, I, was, I, got, I went through a little anger period that had nothing to do with South Carolina. I was angry at the world. I don't know. I was angry about losing the first round of the NCAA. Yeah. I figured, you know, I was mad at some of my players. I was just in a bad place. Yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah. And so I had to, I had to get out of there. Homer Rice was a great help to me. Very understanding. And, um, you know, it took a little time. And um, once, but again, once I saw South Carolina was in good hands, I felt great. Obviously, a lot of people were upset at me, mad at me, and rightfully so. So, you know, it's either you, you got to get through to move on or you got to, you know, something bad's going to happen. Sure. So you came back and coached seven more years. Ago. Yeah. And people, you know, we struggled. And people blame that. But then we got back. We got to the Sweet 16. Won and, a championship in 96 in Charlotte. We yeah. We talking about it. Yeah. yeah. With Drew Barry and Travis Best and James Forrest. Those are two other great players. I mean, I've had some great players. Tommy Hammonds, I mentioned. I know there's some players I'm missing. But, you know, what made me was my players. I had some great players. And, you know, they're great kids. You know, and no, nobody's perfect. You have your ups and downs. But. Without a doubt, um, my my players made me. I, I know that, and I'm always you know grateful for that. Sure. Some of them I could you know kill, 
some of them I, I still coach some of them today. I still yell at some of them today. Uh, but, you know, those players made me. For the first time since 85, Bobby Kremen's club makes the dance of 16. And what a game it was. Yes, Mr. Kremen, we won! We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. So you left Georgia Tech in 2000 and then didn't come back to coaching until 2006. Yeah. What sort of happened there? Yeah, I had a game plan. Um, Homer Rice had retired, and um, I knew things were different, and I was struggling. The team was struggling. We came close. Um, I'm actually, you know, doing a book I, during, during, um, uh, uh, during COVID. I wanted to keep my brain moving. So, and when I, as I write this book, I realized that even though it's those last few years that I was at Georgia Tech, we came close to getting over the hump. We missed the NCAA one year by one game, the next year by two games. We went to the NIT. And you know what the NIT stood for, non-invitational tournament. The NIT got no respect. You had to, you know, make the big dance. But getting back to where we were, you asked me about coming down to Hilton Head. Um, I came down here with an intention of just one or two years. This is in 2000. Yeah, in 2000. Okay. I wanted a place that I could get some serenity, get away from it. Oh, Paul Ewitt succeeded me. Excellent coach. Did a great job there. And I wanted to get away. And um, I needed some serenity. I needed some nice weather. I loved the beach. Go swim in the ocean and chill out. And I was very fortunate to find Hilton Head. I, had, I was familiar with it, but a friend of mine said, you should go down there and rent the place, rent a place for the winter, which I did. And next thing I know, Scott, one year led to six years. I looked up and it was over. I made some mistakes. I had some decent offers, <clears throat> but nothing really hit me. I was happy. I was doing TV. I was all over the place doing things. I had a great life. I was playing tennis, playing golf, um, enjoying life. And I didn't realize how quickly it went by. And I thought, I'll never coach again. And then things got crazy. Um, what happened, college at Charleston let their coach go late. It was like um, almost July. And um, Greg Marshall, the head coach of Winthrop at the time, he took the job. And I was actually at, uh, doing, I had a camp down here at Hilton Head. I was at the camp and my College roommate Corky Carnival calls me and said, Greg Marshall just went back to Winter. He said, he pulled a Bobby Crimmins. He just went back to Winter. So, yeah, I can't tell you what I told him and I hung the phone up. <laughs> and he called me back and I hung up again. And then I said, you know, I wonder why he called me back. So I went out to my car and turned on ESPN. And sure enough, it came over the news. It said, and it's just like this it said, Greg Marshall has pulled a Bobby Crimmins. He was left college you'd become, in a, uh, you'd become a, a something people say whenever yeah. somebody flips back. Flip, yes. flip flop. Right. Uh -huh. And so, um, you know, I knew Greg. Greg's a great coach. And um, but it's ironic that, you know, some coach did a flip flop to get me back in coaching. It really is. Yes. Yes. So I took the college of Charleston job and that was great, Scott. I bet it was. Yeah. I remember I, watching you some of that. You looked like you were happy. Yeah, yeah. I really. I loved yeah. it. I got a little sick at the end of my career. Yeah, uh, what happened there? Yeah, just my body turned on me. Hmm. And um, we had a tough injury. We had a tough loss 
those losses, those tough losses, they just eat at you. And it was a championship of the Southern Conference. You know, it, we we had the best team in the conference. Was, this was our NCAA team, but we had lost our, our starting center ten games before that to a blood clot injury that happened a long time ago. And so Wofford, Mike Young, oh, yeah. they beat us in the finals. I lost in the finals three times. Oh, three times. Once, uh, twice to Wofford, and the other time to Davidson, Bobby McKillop. And a kid uh, by the name of Steph Curry. I was at that game. Yes. He was, he was well, a freshman. And well, that was legit to lose to him. Yes. No, yeah. we should have won the game. We had a great chance to win it. Was that in Asheville? I no, that was, was in uh, Charleston. Charleston. Okay. In the Civic, in the Civic, um, out by the airport. So, uh, but you know, I was getting on to my age there, and um, so I think I think the good Lord was sending me a signal. It's time. So I came back to Hilton Head, and. Um, you know, thanks to my parents, thanks to the game of basketball, um, you know, I have a great life. And, you know, people ask me all the time, wins, losses, awards, Hall of Fame. I don't care. I mean, all that stuff is nice. Um, I feel like my biggest achievement is uh, fulfilling my parents' dream of having their child live the American dream. And I, I give them all the credit in the game of basketball, the schoolyard. Thank God for the schoolyard. And the ACC, and uh, I love the ACC. I love watching ACC basketball. And, um, you know, it's just I want to see the ACC continue to do well. The game's gotten crazy. The outside, you know, the NIL. Yeah, what do you think about NIL and the transferring and such now? Oh, I hate a lot of it. I hate it. Um, I think about what if I was coaching what i do today. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see the players get some money. I always, I've always said they when I went to college, I got a – Monthly stipend of $15. And I always felt like the players should be getting um, monthly stipends. Um, I, they finally put in emergency loans or money where kids, if he has somebody that you know, has an emergency at home or anywhere, he doesn't have the money to get home, he can now get home. Um, but now it's gotten crazy. But it is what it is. Um, the money has gone, it's gotten just so high. I never, you'd have told me, Coaches were going to be making this money. Kids are going to be getting this money. I would. I thought you would be crazy. If you had told me there are going to be 15 teams in the ACC, I would have told you you were crazy. But I tell all these young coaches today, it is what it is. You've got to adjust. The landscape is drastically changed, drastically. And you've got to figure it out, how, how to work it and how to enjoy it and how to do it the right way. You've got to figure all that out yourself. And, and still had the love of the game. I feel for the mid-division one coaches now. I had a kid by the name of Andrew Godlock at College of Charleston. He would have never stayed four years. He's the all, he became the all-time leading scorer at, in College of Charleston. But these mid-division one coaches who go out and find these kids and develop these kids, they automatically lose them now. Right, they get good enough and then they yeah. just transfer and, and, out. And for the coaches at the high level, you know, every year they basically got a new team. I mean – the schools, even like Duke, you know, there's there's power conferences, schools taking anywhere between seven and ten kids in one year. Amazing. So the, this coach got to rebuild a whole new team. So it is what it is. It's very difficult. Last thing, uh, coach, and we'll we'll close with this. But what's your advice for life for people these days getting through? Uh, you know, what's become a more complicated world. Yeah, well, you know, for me, I think about myself, passion. You got to have a passion. 
Um, doing it the right way, honesty. I think honesty is very important. Um, try and do it the right way. Um, um, really, you know, stay away from all the, the bad stuff, drugs, gambling, um, you know, you be honest. And then, uh, you know, you got to work hard. I, I worked hard at, you know, at, at my craft. Uh, as a player, I worked hard. You got to be dedicated. You got to be determined. You know, you're going to have setbacks. Um, and you, you got to work hard. I worked hard as a coach. So once you have your passion, you have to work hard and try, do it the right way and try and get some love out of it. There's great joy in, in coaching, great joy in playing and coaching. Uh, when, you see a, when you see a last second shot, when you see a team win, I mean, I watch games all the time and just a normal game and to see the joy, to see the joy after the game uh, when teams win and they fight so hard and they come back and win the game. The joy is, is unbelievable. And then of course, there's nothing like March Madness. Uh, of, of all this landscape craziness, if somebody threatens to take away March Madness, I'm going to go after them. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to publicly speak out against that person. Uh, I don't want to hear about it. March Madness is what makes our game. There's nothing like it to, to give the underdog an opportunity to compete with the big guys. Um, the, the Final Four. I, I go to every Final Four. Really. Yeah. I think uh, I think I've been a member of NABC for 52 years now. My wife goes with me. Nice. And to see the joy, I don't want anybody to take away that joy because they make a lot of money too. Don't forget that part. But when they start talking about breaking this into power divisions and this and that, um, I'll regret to, to whoever that person is that tries to take away March Madness. They, they that that's one thing that has to remain right there give these kids an opportunity to win a national championship and continue to make football football finally got smart yes. and they followed football was always smarter than basketball but i used to i always said why don't they have more teams why don't they have like a march madness in football and now they finally get it and it's going to be unbelievable it's going to be exciting and it's going to be great when you all of a sudden it might take several years you're going to find an appalachian state yes you're going to find them in the playoffs and you might see them make a run. Right. That's a, exactly. Very well put. Well, that's Coach Bobby Cremens. I'm Scott Fowler. Thank you for joining Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, a production of the Charlotte Observer. This show is produced by Lou May Ali Sally, Jeff Siner, and Cotta Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver. And the executive editor is Raina Cash. Remember, you'll find much more about this interview and about all of our guests, including Steph Curry, Roy Williams, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Don Staley, in our Sports Legends book. Order your copy now at sportslegendsbook.com. For lots more sports content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com and consider a digital subscription. And connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. See you next time.